Good morning, Brave family. Good morning. Good morning. I feel like that's what my life is like at home. Uh, hey, good morning, babe. Yeah. I'm just waking up and having that coffee. And so, good morning, church. Doing well? You know, every time we have worship moments like that, did anybody sense the presence of God in a unique way just now a minute ago? It was just me? That's good. Seriously, was it just me? Did anybody just sense the presence of God in, in a way that was tangible? I'm, I'm, we're blessed to know that God, you know, loves to come and join with those who seek him. Remember his promise, if you seek me, you will find me. Amen. All right. Well, um, we're going to be continuing in our series, Exodus. Uh, before we do, uh, I'm going to make a few announcements. I'm going to jump right into it. If today is your first time, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. And we would love to visit with you on the way out at Brave Central. So just take that first time card. We have a gift we want to give you. And, um, and then we want to give you a call and say hello and see if we can answer any questions. Uh, today, actually, we have what's called Inside Brave. Um, this is where you get to meet some of our team. And uh, we have lunch together, and so that'll take place today after service. And I know some of you are already signed up for that, but if you did not sign up for it, you can still attend it. We order extra food, childcare, and lunch is provided. Uh, it takes place for about 45 minutes. Following service, there's going to be some signs outside. You can just follow the signs, and uh, we'd love to have you there. And we'll just share the heart of the church and uh, where we're going, what we feel God is doing, and then, of course, take time to answer questions. Um, which is my favorite part of Inside Brave because that's where I get drilled with all the questions that I know you really want to know the answers to. And so um, it's a lot of fun. So make sure you, you join us for that. If you'd like to, uh, love to have you there. Also, group signups are still happening. Uh, groups are launching this week. If you haven't heard from your group leader, that means they're not doing their job. And uh, let us know, then we'll fire them, and then we'll hire, hire somebody else. I'm just joking. Uh, you, you should uh, have heard from your group leader uh, an email. Seriously, if you didn't, let our staff know, let somebody know at Brave Central you haven't heard, and maybe there's an email wrong or something like that, uh, but you should have heard from it. By the way, this is a celebration. Um, normally, I think, this is, I think this is about right, so I'm going to use some numbers here, um, but I think you know a, a typical church might have 20 or 30% involved in groups. We have almost 60% of our church involved in a small group. It's incredible. And I celebrate you for that. Uh, it's, not, it's not kudos to me. It's like, you know, it's just to you. And so I'm so proud of you for jumping into a group. And uh, if you can't find a group that fits your schedule, like I said, the best thing you could do is let us know to say, you know, we would like to be part of a group, but there's not one that fits my schedule. And then we'll just kind of keep you in this uh, place where we can maybe uh, identify a new group leader and branch out and, and have one that uh, allows you to attend one. So I encourage you to be part of a group. If you haven't signed up, you can do that online. Marriage XO Conference is coming up as well, February 24th and 25th. And so uh, I think we only have around 55 spots available. If you're interested in that, uh, you need to sign up. The best thing you can do is in that pouch, uh, which by the way, if you could, at the end of this whole thing, we're just trying this whole pouch thing out. Okay, grab your pouches, please. Just grab your pouches and yeah, there you go. Okay, cool. All right, so that pouch, uh, I know that you, you need an extra zipper bag at home. I know that, you know, you just don't have enough bags. Um, <laughs> I know it's going to be tempting. You're like, oh, I really want this bag. Uh, but if you could drop it out on, uh, in the bucket on the way out, uh, we want to reuse those and be good stewards of uh, the 44 cents it costs for each of those bags. So if you really need it, 
bless you, take it, okay? Let me just say that. It's okay. We're in, but um, if you can, drop it on the way out. But inside that pouch is a yellow card that says, sign me up. That's the card you're going to use to sign up for Marriage XO and let us know. And then you can do it online as well. Uh, you can pay for it online. And so that's available for you. Be a part of that. It's a Friday and Saturday night, six to nine, child care and dinners provided. And like I said, that's enough reason to show up. So um, it's going to be a great event for us as a church. And it'll be right here in the community at one of the local hotels that we have. And so... Uh, that's happening. Uh, first Tuesday prayer night's happening this coming Tuesday. That's always at the church office, first Tuesday prayer. And, um, and then our anniversary, seven years is coming up, February the 19th. And I'm so pumped about that service. Um, so our seventh year anniversary is going to be happening on February the 19th. We'd love for you to join us and be a part of that. And then one final announcement, uh, of course. Uh, after last week, African Children's Choir was here. Did you enjoy it? Uh, it was great. It was a great turnout. Uh, so something really cool to, to celebrate, and speaking of generosity, this is normally where we talk about, you know, tithes and offerings, and just again, thank you for your faithfulness, your generosity, you can give in the give bins on the way out. But something to celebrate uh, was, I, I chatted with the, the leaders of the African Children's Choir afterwards, and by the way, they bragged on our church over and over and over again about the hospitality and just how welcome we were and how generous we were, and I just want to celebrate something with you. We did a one-day, one-time love offering. We know that. We took the offering together, and then uh, some of them went towards uh, the organization. They really wanted to take the kids uh, on a trip, too, to Disney World just so the kids could see that. And so anyways, when all the dollars came in together, uh, you gave, right? You gave through, and God gave through you, but you gave. And $9,039 that was given to the African Children's Choir. So I think that's a celebration and uh, love your generosity. Now I know what you're capable of in a day, so let's pick it up. Okay. <laughs> Trying to hold back. Okay. Amen. <laughs> I literally thought about that joke. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. You're, it feels it feels good. Can we pray? Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you for blessing us um, with the choir. Lord, thank you for using us to be a blessing to them. And Lord, today as we open up your word, as we study it, um, Father, I don't want to speak in a way that is entertaining. I want to speak in a way that is uh, piercing to our souls, that our lives would be transformed. Um, Father, we're here to put you on the pedestal, to put you where your rightful position is, uh, at the center of our lives, um, in the beginning of our week. And so, Father, thank you. And I pray, God, as I speak this word and teach, Holy Spirit, that you would give me your words and, um, and our hearts would be open, our ears would be open to you, and may it fall on good soil. In the name of Christ, amen. Um, Every morning, I wake up uh, with our kids, you know, and the family. Uh, if you were in our house, it's probably the same line. If you have kids, uh, even if you don't have kids, it's probably. This is a, a word or a phrase we use often in our house. And we say, get up! Get up! And then they don't get up. Does that happen to anybody else? And then, and then we say, and then we add this. We say, I said, get up! Get, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. I mean, over and over and over, I'm telling you, it's like, get up, get up, get up, get up. How many times do I have to tell you to get up? I said, get up. Yeah, and then because they don't get up, um, I don't know, do y'all have any good systems that, to get them out of bed? My system now is just, I just go turn the light on and I rip the covers off. I used to hate that as a kid, but now I'm doing that because 
I want them to get up. Does anybody do stuff like that, you know? Yeah? Yeah, I have to do that. You guys don't have to do that. What? This is always so incredible. Like, these are not rhetorical questions. <laughs> do, do you, do y'all, anybody, do you have to do stuff like that? Yeah, you know, pound on the wall or what, anybody. What do you use? How do you get your kids up? Loud music. You just blare Google. Yeah, I get it. We actually have the speakers in the room, so we should do that. That's a good idea. Anybody else have any ideas about how to wake up kids in the morning? Spray bottle. Do you, have you used a spray bottle? Is that for real? Or was that a joke? That's for real? <laughs> hey, get up, man. You know, that's a good idea. A little water in the face. I know you were in the military, right? Yeah, that's it. That's so good. Yeah, the spray bottle. Man, that's a good idea. Some of you came to church for that right there, and you're like, that's a good idea. <laughs> Get up. I titled the message, Get Up to Gather. <laughs> Dude, the heck? <laughs> All right, that was a total mistake. All right. Get Up to Gather is what I titled the message, Get Up to Gather. Um... I heard a leadership principle many years ago, and I tell young leaders this all the time. The number one responsibility of leadership is to define reality. Every leader has to know that you have to have the right starting point in order to take an organization to where you want to go. The number one thing that I do as a leader oftentimes is just define reality, and then you're able to get to wherever it is you're wanting to go. Um, In our GPS systems, we understand this principle. Before you get to wherever you want to go, you have to start with where you currently are. Because if you don't know where you are, you won't be able to get to where you're going. Does that make sense? So you kind of have to start with what's reality, what's true, what's, what's real. And we're going to learn about this in this story of Exodus as we continue to unpack it. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Exodus 16. If you want to use your phone, your app, Exodus 16 is where we're going to be. I'll kind of recap for a moment since it's been a, we had a week break. Um, Israel is being removed from Egypt. And remember, it wasn't always bad in Egypt. Don't forget, they had a lot of good land, good farmland. Remember that? And uh, you have these Egyptian gods. Do you remember that God declares war on the Egyptian gods? And we see scripture that it's evident that it was demonic forces of hell that were operating behind these Egyptian gods who were no gods at all. But they believed a lie. And so God is trying to get their eyes off of the false gods ultimately who are being influenced by demonic forces and trying to help people, humanity, both the Egyptians and the Hebrews and help them learn who he is, who the one true God really is. That's his whole point. He wants them to be free to become who they were made to be, which is in a relationship and one with him, which happened in Genesis. And so he's trying to restore the humanity and the human soul into understanding who he is. So he goes through the Hebrews. And of course, we learn about it. They eventually become slaves because we're prone to pray when we have pain. And so they experience some pain. Then they cry out to God. But remember, actually, that's not true. They didn't cry out to God. Remember that? They just cried out and then God heard their cry. God hears it. And then he sends Moses to deliver them. They're going to be uh, taken across the river, an amazing miracle. They 
Uh, it took a lot of faith to walk through the body of water. They get to the other side. They're singing. They're dancing. They're in freedom. And they've arrived into the beginning of this journey towards freedom. But I told you in the very beginning of the series that uh, journey towards freedom, whatever you need freedom from, is it's oftentimes a lifelong process. It's a day-by-day thing. It doesn't always happen instantaneously. And remember, freedom rarely comes without a fight. And so uh, that's where we're kind of picking it up. They've just had this amazing, amazing victory. And this is where we're picking it up in Exodus 16, verse 1. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam, and they came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Exodus 15, 27, this is important to note about Elam. It says, When they were in Elam, look at this, then they came to Elam, so they're in Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. And the reason why that's important, you can go back to Exodus 16.1, is because that is where they were. They were in a good, comfortable place. Everything was peaceful and nice. The springs, the palm trees, they were at a place of rest and of comfort. And then God is going to remove them from rest and comfort and take them into a desert Remember, God wanted ultimately to remove from their hearts the influence of the Egyptian culture, that life was about certain things that it's not about. And so he's trying to teach them who he is, not so they would just learn about who he is and know who he is, but that they could become like him, that they could be the message to other people in the way that they lived their lives. And so he's trying to reveal himself to them. God wanted them to be freed from the desires of the flesh and the things that their natural hearts craved. And so he's trying to reveal himself and to them so they would follow him and trust him and get to know him and ultimately, of course, reveal him to the world. So he takes them into a desert. Years ago, I actually did a series about uh, this growth in the desert that happens. One of the places that you'll grow the most spiritually is in the midst of a desert when, when God, when, like, all you have is him. All right, so verse two, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The word grumble is the word complain. They begin to complain about the situation that they're in. They carry some supplies with them from Egypt, but evidently the text is saying that they're running out of supplies and they start to get hungry. They start to feel hungry, but I want you to notice they were anticipating starvation. They were not yet starved. The time frame has been about a month. We saw that with the 15th month in verse one, the 15th day of the month. And so you have about a month time has lapsed between the dancing and freedom and the river to now, one month, four weeks. And they've had some supplies, no doubt, but now they're starting to get hungry and they're anticipating starvation is about to occur. Can I say this to you? This is going to speak to somebody when you really take what I'm about to say and absorb this. The anticipation of starvation became real to them, even though it's not what they were fully experiencing. Their starvation was more anticipated than it was experienced. They became convinced that something would be true, even though it was not true. 
God had said, I'm going to be your provider, but they became convinced of something to be true, even though it wasn't true. One would think that the experience of the plagues, the Passover, the deliverance of the Red Sea, Israel would know that the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. Yet experiences, even amazing experiences, and this is so true in following the Lord, so true, experiences don't change the heart as much as we often think. There's a truth that we want to experience God, and we, and we do, of course, in moments with God. But I'm going to tell you something, that if your faith in your journey with God is constantly trying to get experiences, chances are your faith won't last. That's why experiential things never really last forever. It's beyond the experience. These people had just, I mean, what greater experiences do you need than to walk through water and parting ways and I mean, see all the good things that God has done? My point to you is, is that experiences will not sustain your journey to freedom. You can't base it all on experiences. And I'll say it this way. Uh, I've been in, in church long enough to know that there's, there's churches or ministries or people who often find themselves just being experiential. Come on, we've got to experience it. And that's good. That's good. There's a time. There's a place of experiencing the Lord and moving in a great way. But that will not sustain you on your journey to freedom and to becoming who God has called you to be. Certainly didn't sustain the Israelites. They got four weeks out of an amazing couple of miracles. So I want to unpack that for you today. Write this down if you're taking notes. Key truth, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. In the hearts of Hebrews was a lack of trust in God. Faith, of course, was a problem for them. The heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. It's a lack of trust in God. I mean, at the core of it, I could preach this sermon every single week and be totally applicable to everyone in the room every time. And it comes down to trust. Faith. Faith is this. Write this down. Faith is this. Key truth. Faith is choosing. It's a choice you make to believe what God says is true and then acting on that belief. It's a choice you make. I mean, and, and day by day, day by day, day by day, this is something that humans have to do, choosing faith. And then we wrestle in those moments. It's a trust thing that we have with God, and he's trying to reveal who he is to them, to rid the condition of their human heart, to remind them of who he is. God ultimately wanted the Israelites to change the way they thought about the gods of Egypt, about the way the world was functioning. They were wrapped up in the way that the world was saying to live. And he's like, no, don't live that way. That stuff isn't going to make you happy. Having that, doing that, that going there, that, no, no, no. That's not your provision. That's not the source of your income. That's not how it goes. Come on, pay attention to me. He's trying to change the way they think about things. That's his whole heart in this, to help them to see who he is, that he's the provider, he's the protector. Ultimately, God wanted them to be freed from their own sinful desires and nature to rely fully on him, to be dependent on him. But they doubted him. And there's people today in this room, I know, there's in, all around our world today that doubt him. And they might believe him about one thing, but they doubt him about another. Look at what the writer of Psalm 106 wrote about this story. 
Verse 7, he says, when our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled, look at this, by the sea. I just read to you the story last, a couple weeks ago, where they crossed the sea, they're jumping, they're dancing. Four weeks later, they forget it. That's incredible when you think about that. And I know what you're thinking. How could you possibly forget all the good things God has done for you? But then all of a sudden you look into the mirror and you're like, oh yeah, I've done that too in my life at some point. How easy it is to forget the goodness of God in our lives and what he's done. They rebelled by the sea, the very sea they just crossed. Yet he saved them for his name's sake. To make his mighty power known, he rebuked the Red Sea and he dried it up. He led them through the depths, through a desert. And he saved them from the hand of the foe. From the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. No, not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. That's where we landed last week, verse 13. But they soon forgot what he had done and they didn't wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert they gave into their craving and the wilderness and they put God to the test. If you were to read the fullness of Psalm 106, you'd find out that they sinned against God by putting him to the test. The word test means to tempt him. You only see the word test God in Malachi where it says to test me in your tithes and offerings. That's a different conversation. But in this context, they are tempting God. They are testing God. I love this definition of this by Warren Wearsby. It says to tempt God means to deliberately adopt a disobedient posture and dare him to do something about it. Tempting God, but they have a disobedient posture. Let me say it to you this way. The Hebrews are worshiping idols and complaining to God about their circumstance. I'm not going to lie. When I, when I wrote that down in the study time, I was like, <laughs> that's funny. Think about that. I mean, it's sad, but it's like, I mean, it's a little funny. Do you ever find people who worship idols but complain to God about their circumstances? Okay? They don't do what God says to do, but they complain to God about their circumstances. <laughs> that's, that's the look I give you if you ever sit in counseling with me. You know, are you doing what God says to do? <laughs> Why, why are we here? Let's start there. And then you're dismissed. It's really easy counseling with me. It's like, are you doing what he says? You know, and if you're doing what, you know, I'm just, I'm making a joke with it a little bit, but think about that for a minute. They're complaining to a God about their circumstances when they're not even doing what God is saying to do. Man, God's grace is incredible. Amen. They refused to trust God in spite of their circumstance. Watch this. They refused to trust him. Um, and the problem is this. If they carry the problem in their heart, this distrust with God, even if God gives them what it is that they're craving and calling out for, which he did already, experiences, because they have a heart problem, that heart is just going to go to the new location. 
It means wherever they go, that same problem in their heart is just going to go to the new destination. So he's got to deal with the heart issue first. And so he starts to send them to a desert. When I refer to the word heart, I want you to know this for the remainder of the sermon. Heart and soul is one and the same. The word heart it speaks to the inner man, the mind, the will, and the emotions. This is not a dichotomy, a trichotomy sermon, but this is just a simply helping you understand that we all have a soul inside of us, something inside. You say, well, how do I know I have a soul? Because when somebody says a hurtful word to you, it doesn't hurt you physically, it hurts you somewhere else. And that somewhere else is your soul, your heart. So he's got this heart issue inside. And he's trying to get them to change the way they think about their lives. They naturally go to their sinful nature, away from God and towards themselves. Self-glorification instead of God-glorifying. So he's trying to adjust their thinking. And here's how he begins. Verse 4, with mercy, with grace. By withholding from them what is due to them and giving them something they don't deserve. Look at verse 4. In response to this complaining, how about this for inspiration, parents? In response to their complaining, to their nagging complaining after, I'm having this parent epiphany right now in this very moment. Have you ever, you know, are you kidding me? Do you know what all I've done for you? Wouldn't that sound like more of God, like if I was God, that would be the response we would give, you know? You ever had kids complain to you after you just blessed them with something? What? God in his grace and his mercy, look what God does. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. They're complaining and he's like, now let me feed you. <laughs> That's his mercy. I have removed dinner from my kids at the dinner table. I'm just realizing how far I am from like God. <laughs> they complain about the food. Have you ever done that before? You take the food, fine, then I'll take the food and I've thrown it away in the trash can. And I, I feel like a terrible parent. I know that you might... But I've done stuff like that. Anyways, um, the people are to go out each day. That's funny, right? The people are to go out, listen to this, are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way, I'll test them. I'm going to test their faith now. Now look what he says. And see whether they will follow my instructions. You put food in the category, and I know that I'm going to get them to do it. It's like a dog that runs to the cage, you know. It's like, put food out there, all of a sudden... You're going to start following my instructions. See, watch this. On the sixth day, they're to prepare and bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. It's actually the first understanding of the Sabbath before he goes to Mount Sinai. Anyways, verse 13. The evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, the thin uh, flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted water, like waters made with honey, honey grams, honey crackers, graham crackers maybe, but white and smaller. So the name manna means what is it or what is that? That's where the name comes from, just the question that they asked. 
The purpose for giving the bread from heaven was not to provide for the physical needs of Israel, but when Jesus was trying or God was trying to teach them an eternal lesson about the dependence on God. Go down to verse 16, uh, verse 17. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some little. Now remember, they're told. Store it on the sixth day. Don't touch it on the seventh day. Don't go gather on the seventh. Just store it up on the sixth. That's the only one you can. But the other days, take as much as you need for the day and then move on to the next day. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little for everyone gathered just as much as they needed but not everyone really then Moses said to them no one is to keep any of it until morning however some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning you know what the problem is trust issue God said he would provide something the next day but I don't know if I can trust him so let's store it up for ourselves it's a hard issue but it was full of maggots and began to smell So Moses was angry with them, and each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. I almost titled this sermon, Early Risers. Pay attention to this. The Israelites were called to be early risers. If you wanted to eat, you couldn't be lazy and stay in bed. Get up in the morning. They had to get up and gather, hence the title of the sermon. I'm going to give you three people who got up early, but you'll find them all through Scripture if you go searching. Genesis 19:27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Somebody say, get up. <laughs> Abraham got up early. Okay, let's go to Moses. Exodus 24, verse 4, Moses then wrote everything down, the Lord said, and he got up. Somebody say early. Early. Somebody say early. Early. The next morning, and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, set of 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning. Somebody say early in the morning. Jesus, very early in the morning. It was still dark. Jesus got up. Somebody say get up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If you were to go read Samuel, Samuel got up early. Joshua gets up early. David gets up early. In fact, David wakes up through his psalms, and multiple times he's like, arise, O dawn. He's, he's seeing it come up. Early risers. I think Jesus and God is they're trying to make a point for us today. God promised to send bread from heaven, but notice that he did not promise to put it into their mouth. They had to go out and gather it every day. So why did they have to go gather it? What's the lesson that God is wanting to teach them? Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way to the wilderness those 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in, come on, somebody say, your heart. See, this is a heart problem. And I led you all this way to show you what's in your heart. I'm trying to adjust the heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So he humbled you because we're prone to pray when we feel pain. So he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. You neither... Uh, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, 
Why did he do this? Why the manna? This is what I came. Listen, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. They ate manna for 40 years. I grabbed my calculator and I did the math. That's 4,600 days. 14,600 days. That's a lot of manna. I think there's something to the repetition that God is trying to instruct. Reading God's word should never get old. I heard a man one time tell me, I've read the Bible, I don't need to read it again. To which I responded, well then obviously you never read the Bible. Man, God is teaching a lesson to the Israelites and he's teaching a lesson to us. Charles Spurgeon said this, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not by every feeling we experience. What if today you could learn to live your life based on what God says, not on what you feel? What if you began to sing praises to God because God said to, not because you feel like it? Think about this, how it would just transform our lives if we could just do what God says to do regardless of what we feel or the circumstances that are around us. How oftentimes in our Christian world, I find that we seek experience more than we seek God's word. When is God's word sufficiency going to be enough for the feeding of our souls? People check out churches and ultimately, a lot of times, they're just looking for the right experience, I find. Not just looking for the word. When is the word of God just gonna be enough? That the word just feeds the soul satisfies key truth that I think we can take from this we can't live on yesterday's spiritual nourishment look at the Israelites